Well, welcome back everyone to our fiduciary fitness podcast series. Uh, my name is Colin Clark, and I'm excited to be joined today by Tammy Guamelli. And Tammy is the Associate General Counsel for John Hancock. Tammy, welcome, and we're really glad you can join us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so the topic today is Secure 2.0. So for us retirement nerds, uh, we've been kind of watching Capitol Hill and seeing what's going on here. So Tammy, really, you're the subject matter expert here. Can you give us a little background on where 2.0 came from and where we are now? Sure. Well, you might recall last year, for those who are our ERISA nerds, right, we had the Neil Brady bill and the Portman Carton bill. And so that was kind of really the first steps. And you had the bill from the House and the bill from the Senate. Well, it wasn't dead. It never moved last year. So then they put together Secure 2.0, which is Securing a Strong Retirement Act of 2022. And you might recall that it really passed strongly. It passed with a four, I think it was 414 to five vote. And yeah. so does it really builds on the momentum of Secure 1.0, right? It's really to increase retirement savings, a big focus on that. So right now, like I said, it has passed the House. So it's not final by any means. It's moved on to the Senate and we are envisioned there's going to be changes. There might be new additions to the current bill and there might be some deletions. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, so so really, this to me, the to Secure 2.0 really picks up where 1.0 left off, but really just expands it dramatically. Is that a fair statement? That is very accurate. I totally agree with that. Yeah, so I, I think this affects uh, not only plan sponsors, but uh, participants uh, as well. Is that, would you say? Yep, there's a big focus. It's going to impact plan sponsors, participants, and record keepers alike. But what I really love about it is a focus on participants to help them increase savings. And doing that in there's a myriad of ways. Yeah, because with Secure 1.0, it was really focused on coverage. So if I were to, to kind of in a broad brush stroke, say Secure 1.0 was all about expanding coverage in the United States for people to have access to retirement plans. How, with a broad brush, like what would you say Secure 2.0 kind of tackles? Well, I think it's going to really help give them more opportunities to save, right? Employees, um, Secure 1.0, I don't want to go into many details, but you had a long-term part-time employees now being covered. They're going to change that, reduce the service requirement. So they're going to get in plans sooner. There's a provision, I don't want to get too much, but to increase the catch-up provisions for older people. So 62, 63, 64, they're going to be able to um, contribute an extra $3,500. They'll have a total of $10,000. So that's helping them increase, you know, their savings. Oh, then that, I mean, that's, I just think that's phenomenal because usually we all hold our breath in October waiting to see what the IRS is going to do to increase, you know, 401k contributions because, you know, 401ks and 403bs really are regressive benefits. And, you know, the more money you make, the less access you have to save for retirement. Uh, so this really, you know, you got kind of bumping these numbers up the, the way that they're suggesting is really going to give people a lot more incentive to save and a lot more uh, ability to, to get more money set aside for retirement. Very true. What are the top three things that really jump out at you about Secure 2.0? I think one thing is going to be the focus on Roth provisions. Okay. You know, government likes Roth because they make the money, they get the you know taxes upfront on Roth. And that's a revenue raiser. So just Correct. as you mentioned, uh, and that's always big for 
you know, Congress, they want to make sure that everything's paid for, right? Yes. And then, and then what would you say the other top two? Um, I would say, I would say there's one, the student loans, right? There's a lot of interest in helping our students who are saddled with debt to encourage them to save in their retirement plans. So instead of just worrying about making elective deferrals, right? What government wants to do is to say, okay, if you make a qualified student loan repayment, we're going to make a match in that retirement plan. So you are not going to lose out on matching contributions. So I think that can really be very beneficial and it depends on the industry. If you're an industry and you have a lot of young professionals and they have these outstanding loans, you can now help them. So I think that's gonna attract a lot of attention. And then the other one is probably a big focus or is on plan corrections, right? Expanding the employee plans resolution system, especially for elective deferral failures. I think that is going to be huge. And the other one is for insignificant failures. And that's what we all want, right? We want qualified retirement plans. You don't want to have to submit to the IRS if there's a violation. It'd be great if plan sponsors on a regular basis start to audit the plans. They find mistakes. They're going to happen. You have a lot of people working on these plans. And then you correct them. And you correct them using the principles of the employee plans resolution system. And you don't have to pay a filing fee. You don't have to do the filing. You don't have to hire an attorney to do it. So I think that's really a great enhancement. It really what stood out to me is a correction process because as a plan consultant, you know, we try to be an intermediary uh, between the plan sponsor and the Department of Labor IRS. And so when these kind of issues pop up, I'm always encouraging people to talk to me first because when I talk to the ERISA council, it's free. You know, when the plan sponsor goes directly, they're going to get a bill. So before we kind of, we try to assess the damage and figure out, well, how bad is this problem? What's the correction process? And it sounds like Secure 2.0 is really going to give us a lot of latitude to take care of the little things and the little problems. If something does become onerous and we do need to bring in the Calvary, then we can do that. Yeah, I think that's great that you're able to help your clients with that. So that's what they need, right? They need someone to help them with these problems. And if there's an, an easy fix, just go ahead and fix it. Yeah, that's really what frightens people and kind of gets people's blood pressure up. You know, the worst thing in the world, obviously, is a plan being disqualified. But mm-hmm. it, you have to really mess things up to get your plan disqualified. And there yes. are always ways to fix things and resolve things. You know, I asked you to kind of identify kind of the top three things that jumped out at you about the Secure 2.0. And the first one you mentioned was Roth. And, and mm-hmm. I get questions almost every day. It's one of the top questions we get asked as retirement plan consultants by employees during group meetings, during one-on-one sessions uh, about Roth. There's still a lot of misinformation, a lot of confusion about Roth. Can you kind of mention like, what's the state of Roth and and why is this important in Secure 2.0? Yeah, I totally agree with you that Roth, a lot of people don't understand what Roth contributions are. And then sometimes they confuse them with the old, let's call them after-tax contributions. So I think that there's a lot of education that's needed for Roth. But the government loves Roth, like we said before, because it is a revenue raiser. So in Secure 2.0, what they're going to do, if it's proposed again, I keep saying, but well, it's proposed, right? All catch-up contributions would have to be made in the form of Roth contributions, So there's no choice with that. So that means that every retirement plan that does not have Roth will have to add Roth to the plan. But right now, that's effective for years beginning after December 31st, 2022. So that would be an immediate change. 
So, so that's a big deal because how many yeah. plans still don't have Roth, you think? But I think I was surprised that maybe a little bit more than 50% have Roth now, but I have to check on that number. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, you know, the last I heard it was around half of plans still don't offer Roth. Mm -hmm. uh, and we do come across new clients. And, and when we do our plan document reviews, we are onboarding them. Obviously, that's something that's always a big deal to check on and make sure they have it. What you're saying, though, is this is going to make it mandatory. So everyone's going to have to go back and do some sort of a plan amendment. Is that correct? That is correct. And then they're going to have to work with a record keeper and get payroll set up and make sure everything happens correctly. They do the 1099R reporting. Roth is a lot different. It's, a, it's to me, it's a very, very big change. I think maybe it'd be better if it was optional, but it's going to be, you know, mandatory, all catch up. Well, like you said, it has to raise money, right? It's a revenue right. raiser, so. <laughs> it is. It so is. Roth, I think, is beneficial because as, a, okay, if I, if I were to put on my financial planning hat, so Roth is just another tax advantage bucket that people can put in their, you know, retirement plan. And so the fact, the fact that it's going to be more accessible to people, I think is a big deal from a financial planning standpoint. But mm -hmm. what are the, some of the things that are going to be available within retirement plans because of this? Well, if you have these plans, right? That you can probably depends if the plan wants you could do in plan Roth conversions, right? So when you have money that is not a pre tax status, you could convert that over to Roth and be able to do that. You have to have Roth in your plan. So this is another way for people to do that. Those individuals who are not eligible, right, to set up a Roth IRA due to their income, it's great to have this in your plan. Put it in your plan and you're going to get that tax advantage. Then later on, you could, you know, roll that over into a Roth IRA. So you're actually giving people who normally wouldn't have exposure, right, to Roth to give them that exposure. Yeah, and, and I turned uh, 50 this year, just to, to date myself, I turned 50 this Congratulations. year. Congratulations, so you're I a get, youngster. <laughs> the IRS gave me a, a birthday present. They allow me to do catch-up. So how does Secure 2.0 affect catch-ups with Roth? Oh, yep. No, that's great. Yeah, also in Secure 2.0, you're going to increase the contribution. If you're catch-up eligible, like you just said, 50, so congratulations. But now you're going to have to wait a few more years. So when you're 62, 63, 64, you're going to be able to make a catch-up contribution of $10,000. Currently, that's at $6,500. So those individuals be able to contribute $3,500 more. Again, that's to help them increase their savings as they're getting older in life. You want to increase your savings for retirement. So this is a way to do that. And I, I think the most complicated thing is the whole matching contributions going to Roth. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Right. So that's a whole nother provision in Secure 2.0. And employees would have the option to say, I want my match made as regular pre-tax, or I want that match made as a Roth contribution. So again, that's a little more complicated, I think, for the, you know, the record keeper. But and like, when are they going to make that election? It can be all or part of the matching contribution. And that's going to increase the complexity, uh, from, like you were saying earlier, from a payroll standpoint, from a record keeping standpoint. It, it seems to me that record keepers like John Hancock are already built to handle these things. It's going to be more the, you know, the synergy between payroll and yes. data uploads, which is always a very sticky complicated part of the about uh, operating a retirement plan anyway. So this is just going to add another layer of complexity, right? I agree. And this is that is an optional provision. So that one, unlike the catch up that has to be made in Roth, that's mandatory. 
the making the match and Roth as an optional provision. So I think employers will have a little time, right, to get in sync, like you just said, with the payroll and record keeping, make sure that's all working smoothly. So that's not going to be one they have to adopt day one when it becomes effective. And, and that's interesting, too, because I do get a lot of questions because there is confusion around how the match works if you put money in Roth versus traditional. And so I think this is going to actually, you know, people are going to be very interested in this. I, you know, another big topic of the Roth is, you know, how student loans are going to be affected by Secure 2.0. Can you kind of go a little bit deeper for us? Sure. So one thing is, I know people are familiar, there was a private letter ruling was Abbott Laboratories. And that was the first time an employer got permission to make a match on a student loan repayment. So a lot of people are very interested in that because unfortunately, a lot of our young professionals have huge loans. And so because they have these huge loans, they have to make loan repayments, they're probably not apt to make save in the 401k plan. They might not have the money to spread around. So what this does, students who make qualified student loan repayments, the employer can match that. So they have a matching contribution in the plan. They're going to be able to match someone's student loan repayment. But that student loan repayment is going to be subject to our 402G limits on the 401k limit, the maximum. So that'll be interesting. Um, I think it's going to be a good thing. I think it's really going to be attractive to those employers who employ a lot of young professionals to really help them um, so they can save in the retirement plan. They're going to get their match. They're not losing out. Yeah. And you're absolutely right. Cause you know, we do deal with like architecture firms, uh, you know, medical practices, you know, uh, law firms where, you know, the, the, the cost of education is a bit more expensive and depending on how it was financed, people are dealing with that student loan debt. So this becomes very attractive. And we do get asked uh, very often, we have a whole list of student loan debt integrations, but I'm assuming if this passes, then uh, that's going to actually be a game changer for that segment of the industry is that's going to create more access for these integrators to help uh, plan sponsors and administrators with managing that process. Uh, one of the things that I felt like what really jumped out of me uh, that's going to help plan sponsors is the changes to the self-correction process. So I think there are probably like maybe three provisions in Secure 2.0 that really deal with plan corrections. And one of them is really to insignificant failures really can be corrected at any point in time. So right now there's time limits when they can be corrected. Um, so if you have an insignificant failure, you can self-correct it. You don't have to pay the fee to the IRS. There's no formal filing. So I think that's really a great boon for employers to really put a process in. You're reviewing your plan and you're self-correcting when you discover these errors, right? You don't want your plan to be disqualified. Yeah, they, they, yeah, and that's, I think, a big misnomer, right, is everyone's kind of afraid of the consequences of dealing with, with the uh, with the Department of Labor, the IRS. But, you know, when, it, when push comes to shove, every time I hear an IRS or Department of Labor person speak at a, a, a conference that I'm attending, they, they really want to just make sure, you know, they want to catch cheaters and not there aren't a lot of cheaters out there. It's just most people, most plan corrections are just mistakes. Uh, staff turnover, uh, you, mm -hmm. you lose someone and your process, uh, you know, goes with them. And so there's some uh, just missed you know, definition of compensation, missed contributions, you know, just, just things that have to do with payroll and human error that get caught sometimes soon, sometimes quickly, and sometimes it takes a couple of years, depending on how you audit your plans. So I, I really like, you know, some of those provisions, uh, especially with the idea that there's a lot more leeway for making correct, uh, making corrections for 
uh, administering auto enroll and automatic increase provisions because that that obviously is kind of a tough thing. It's to me that's what's kind of kept plan sponsors from really adopting some of those provisions that we're big fans of. Right. No, I think that is you're right on point with that. I think that before there were people they were hesitant to add automatic enrollment because they knew there are going to be mistakes. Some mistakes are inevitable, right? And they were afraid of that. So and I think the IRS again listen to people even in the regular EPCRS. And they do have like a longer period, which you can correct those mistakes. And there's, there's just a lot involved, right? Plans have automatic enrollment, plans that have automatic increase. You know, you have new employees, rehires. So those, I think it's really advantageous that we have this insecure 2.0. With that said, what the heck is going to happen? This is past the house. So Tammy, can you kind of give us a like a just a, a picture, like a roadmap, like what's going to happen next? What needs to happen to get this thing? Right. Well, I wish I had a crystal ball, but I don't. This really had strong bipartisan support. So that is huge. And because it builds on Secure 1.02, I think there is a lot of momentum. So now it has gone to the Senate and we don't really know what they're going to do. I know a finance committee and I think it's the, the HELP Committee, and I forget all it stands for, one of the pension committees, they're working on their own bills that will go to the Senate. So I'm not sure if we're going to have, you know, they might come up with their own bill, then it's going to have to go back, and they're going to have to reconcile the two bills. I don't know. Early they said that that might happen in the spring or the summer, but because everything else that's going on, maybe, maybe we'll see something at the end of the summer, just a bill. Um, but I don't know. I'm really hoping that they do get together and they come up with something that they all can agree upon. Again, this is really helping, you know, our individuals, our plan participants have a stronger retirement. Well, I, I did hear August as well. Now I've heard speculation that this might go into the lame duck. So after the election, November, this might be kind of the la- one of the last things that gets passed before the, the new Congress is sworn in. Uh, mm-hmm. it, would you agree with that or have you heard I, that? I would. I think that when I'm saying August, so that might be when we hear something from the Senate. But by the time we get something done, I think, and I've heard a lot of different people talk about this with numbers. Some people are saying 50%, some people are saying 70%. I do have a feeling, and I agree that before everything changes, that we might see something by year end. If we see something by year end, I really hope, though, some of the effective dates get pushed out. Because some of these things had, you know, dates commence in plan years after the end of this year, 1231-2022. So I'm hoping that some of the dates get pushed out to give our plan sponsors time, you know, to amend the plans. But there is a provision in there about amendments that they wouldn't be required to the end of 2024 for our calendar year plans. Um, but still, you need time to change your record keeping system. You need times to coordinate with payroll. So I'm just hoping that when they look at it, the dates are reflective of the time needed. All right, Tammy, this has been great. Great. Thank you. All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy our show, we'd love for you to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you access your podcasts. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA and SIPC. 
Investment advice offered through Global Retirement Partners, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Global Retirement Partners, Washington Financial Group, a division of Hub International Mid-Atlantic and Hub International are not affiliated with LPL Financial. Global Retirement Partners, LPL Financial, Washington Financial Group, and Hub International are not affiliated in any way with the services offered by any guest on this show. Jeff, he's having to listen to this conversation. All right, hopefully that, uh, hopefully Jeff can edit that, right? <laughs>